Hi everyone, welcome to episode 15 of the Mind Blown Zone. This is part one of a two-part podcast, uh, both titled Material versus Spiritual Reality. So in this episode, episode 15, we'll be speaking specifically about the material reality. And the core question for the podcast is, are material explanations accurate and sufficient to explain our experience, to explain our world? How you doing, Brad? Beautiful. I have never been better. How about yourself? Uh, today's a good day. Uh, we've uh, we've uh, recorded already and are about to record some pretty important information. So it's going out into the world and I'm very satisfied. Awesome. Totally agree. Take it away. Okay. Okay. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be putting forward the uh, main material explanations of our experience, right? Which we've identified as Big Bang Theory, Theory of Evolution, Germ Theory, Theory of Universal Gravitation, Atomic Theory, Theory of Special and General Relativity, Quantum Mechanics Theory, and Gene Theory. Okay, and we'll also touch on magnetism as well. And uh, what we're going to be doing uh, after that is we're going to be pointing out, I suppose, the criticisms. Uh, you could even say the damning critiques of these models where, where they just don't, satisfy well i suppose observation or experience right now we right. do want to cover that um you know as, as a preface like before we get into this we want you to know that you know just say we told you this stuff and then you were to go and check it with a some, some expert right we want to let you know that they're going to dismiss what we're saying like out of hand immediately you know unless you've got one of those rare people that's like, you know, I'm happy to listen to anything, but like 95% of the time you're going to get someone who's just like, whoop. And we just want to warn you in advance so that you can check whether this happens or not if they dismiss it for one of these three core reasons, which is Brad and I don't have credentials. Well, what university Harvard degree do they have? Okay, there's one. Uh, another one is, you know, this is all just ridiculous. This is just stuff that conspiracy people theory say conspiracy theory people say it's just absurd right okay and the other one is well i mean we have the math to prove what we're saying they, they, they don't even have math right okay so if you hear those things just just be aware that those are defenses that are built up around the questioning of these theories and if you hear those you might want to press a little harder how, how do you like that preface brad Beautiful. Couldn't have said it better. I was I was going to call the three things deflections, right? They they, they deflect it away with those excuses. Thank you. That's all. It's great. Okay, that's exactly so, what we're after. Yes. So the the fundamental picture of reality that we're you know, taught by the mainstream institutions. You know, we get we go to school. We're taught this. You watch the TV. We're taught this. You know, it's it's, it's everywhere around you. Everyone's saying it, right? Uh, it's all the, the following materialistic theories, right? So I'll, I'll just step through them. We'll, we'll, we'll take one by one, right? Uh, so we have the Big Bang Theory, right? So Big Bang Theory, 13.7 approximately billion years ago, there was a point of zero size, an infinite energy that suddenly, for no known reason, suddenly 
expanded and became the entire universe, right? It, that's satisfactory, right, Brad? That's the, the general Big Bang Theory, right? You can sum it all up by saying everything came from nothing. Everything, everything came from nothing, right? It contained every single thing in the observable universe, and it just became that from nothing, okay? You want to take theory of evolution, Brad? <laughs> well, of course, the theory of evolution is such, this is, of course, the Darwinian theory that was proposed in the, what, 1850 time frame, plus or minus 10 or 20 years. And essentially, uh, the idea is that after this Big Bang, everything eventually congealed and water was formed and then pond scum was formed and then little cells came together and produced, you know, miniature uh, basic creatures eukaryotes, I think, is maybe the first, and then you get some algae and bacteria, and, and, and eventually one day, all these things, of course, turned into human beings. And that is the essential idea. One thing became another, became another, became another, got more advanced, more intricate, more intelligent. So we started with algae, and we ended with humans, all from some random particles mixing together in a little puddle of water. Pretty much to sum it up. Stated. <laughs> yep. Uh, so then we have germ theory. Uh, so this is basically, you know, one of the core reasons why we get sick is because there are little microscopic uh, anti-life things out there that get into us and they have some sort of agenda somehow or by random chance they're programmed to be evil apparently against life and they just cause sickness, right? Little, little microscopic and even invisible things that we can't see like viruses. They just make us sick and that's how we get sick happy with that one brad that's perfect it's material causing illness good good story cool story mm -hmm. bro as one of my favorite guys says i guess i'm i guess i'll do uh, universal gravitation or gravity so of course this is the this is the idea that mass attracts mass that's what we're all taught in you know, i think elementary school and mm -hmm. that there is some substance or force out there in the world that causes you know, what goes up must come down, as well as holding right. planets and moons and suns in orbit and on and on and on. So that's the essence of gravity. There's a tremendous force, and it's making all this stuff work the way it works. Right. Caused by specifically mass. Just okay. mass. That's all it takes. So all it takes. Ato atomic theory is the at the, you know, lowest levels of observation of, of existence there are literal things you know there literally are protons neutrons electrons okay and there's like the these three particles uh you know can configurate is perhaps a word together uh to form these atoms okay and that's the major body of course below that there's quarks and other you know uh quantum particles but there is atomic theory. Right. And those those little, you know, the billiard ball theory, as it were, right, forms the elements, that forms the molecules, that forms everything we see. Right. Everything's made of atoms. Yeah. You can all knock it down to these atoms, which the Greeks theorized many thousands of years ago. Right. <laughs> what a coincidence that they got it perfectly correct. They got it right. Okay. All these old, old guys always get it right. Fascinating. Uh, all right. I guess I have uh, Einstein stuff. Uh, so there's special and general relativity. But if, and I guess I didn't make it clear earlier, but gravity, of course, was proposed by Isaac Newton, the apple falling on the head. 
Then this guy named Albert Einstein came along uh, right around I think, 1905 and shook up the world by introducing a new type of gravity that re really speaks more to the, the big picture cosmic uh, gravity, so the relationships between the celestial bodies. And mm -hmm. a couple of uh, papers that are considered widely considered to be you know, some of the most uh, tremendous intelligent works of all time in the scientific world. Explaining, of course. And in there is a constant speed of light. That's one of the things. That's right. Quite a few things we'll talk about in a moment. But yeah, he's uh, basically, he's, he's able to more accurately explain how the moons and suns and stars and everything, planets all orbit around each other with the use of mm -hmm. this theory, relativity. Right. Uh, so then we've got quantum mechanics theory. So this is the, uh, the, the low atomic theory that there are quarks and they make up you know the protons and the electrons and uh, i don't know what what else to say about that um this there are very uh, very 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 small particles with a whole bunch of uh stochastic uh, equations and you know that that uh predict where things will be and how they will be but it's like there's random chance inputted into the equations that determine it rather right and in, in the in the immortal words of richard Feynman, who's a very highly respected uh scientist and university professor from the 1950s and 60s he said it's all weird and nonsensical it doesn't make sense to any of us but it's right <laughs> right so apparently almost nobody can understand this theory except for people who study it nonstop for four or five years and even they think it's beyond bizarre so another but this is a foundational theory we're told of how our reality works right yep you want to take gene theory uh you're the gene guy go ahead what, what do we know about genes well i mean genes just determine everything don't they it's <laughs> like every everything that you become everything that you experience depends on the genes right so the genes are causative right so the physical structures cause what you are i would i would say that's pretty much it right yeah there's there's some definition of who and what you are it's immutable unchangeable other than if it mutates of course but it's something that uh you're stuck with and it's already written in stone and there's nothing nothing you can really do about it you are at the mercy of your genes and before yep. you jump onto so, the next section i I got, do you want to say something else about gene theory? Yeah, if I could just add on genes, like I so, say, so, and especially in illness, right? So if you if you have some lifelong chronic disease or something, well, caused or influenced by genes, right? the whole healthcare industry bases a tremendous amount of their uh, suppositions on genes. I just wanted to say it's really important to note we said it all, we mentioned it all, but all of these are theories, and the you know establishment puts out there that they are theories right it's really important right. important to understand that none of these are facts they were they would take the word theory away from them and say germ fact or the big bang fact gravity fact but they haven't done that yet and hopefully we'll offer a few examples as to why here shortly right so these are models right there are theories and there there are models right so these are what what these are what the theory itself and the model itself is not reality, right? 
They are configurations of mathematical concepts and verbal concepts arranged in a way to describe observations of reality that have been made. And whether those observations are correct and factual or not, who knows? But the model seems to indicate that they are to some, to, to some extent until you get into the stuff that we're going to talk about in this podcast. Beautiful. Right. I, I would just add that, it, you know, in ba the basis of all of these contains one or more assumptions. Right? Right. Right. So if you dig there. down far enough, there there are assumptions. Yeah. Right. That's why there's still theories. All right. Okay. So do you want to take this, uh, we understand if you accept this, Brad? Oh, okay. I didn't realize you did the, the previous section. I was just going to say that. Okay, so, um, you know, the reason we all accept this is because we're under the impression that really, really smart people, and I'm not saying they're not smart, but, they, you know, people went to school and studied this and, you know, got a degree or a master's or a PhD in all these subjects, and they learned it and fully understand the complexities of what all of us are not expected to understand, and we have no reason to doubt them, it would seem. Right. So this comes from, of course, academia primarily is where all these uh, anointed intellectual uh, elites are that, that understand this stuff. That, you know, we're us little plebes can't understand it, don't need to understand it. And of course, it's also pushed by the media, the entertainment industries, movies and so forth. So they are consistently reminding us of these types of uh, theories as being facts. They never None of them ever mentioned that these are theories, by the way. They're, in terms of what we get down at the low rung, we're just told this stuff is all beyond questioning and fact. And mm -hmm. they remind us that all the degreed experts agree. So it would seem that from, you know, first blush, that there's no reason to question this because all the experts agree. And of course, Matt's favorite line. What's Matt's favorite line? Uh, the math checks out. <laughs> it does indeed. Is that the one? That is the yeah, one. Yeah, so I'll, I'll perhaps mention this one. Uh, one, of the, one of the reasons it makes so much sense to, you know, go, oh, these models are good is because the math checks out, right? Like if you go do the math and refer to the observations that have, that have been made, you know, it always checks out, right? Like you're not, you're not going to be like, wait, this math doesn't even make sense. No, the math checks out, right? So when the math checks out, you're like, oh, okay, so it's right. Just let me let me give you an example how the math only checks out given the assumptions that were made at the very basis of the model. Okay, so here's an example for cosmology, right? So let's say I assume that the sun shines light on the moon, right? Before people made that assumption, people believed that the moon was a luminary, okay? But let's say I come along and I say, let's assume that the sun shines light on the moon as a very basis of a model. Then let me say that I also assume that the sun is so far away that when light rays come in, they're completely parallel, even if I'm a far, even if I'm a large distance away from another person on the earth, right? Those are, those are assumptions. But if you start with that and you also start with, let me assume that the celestial bodies are spheres, all right? You start with those three basic assumptions. You have enough assumptions to now create an entire model with math 
of the cosmos. Okay. Take away those assumptions though, and let's see you create the model. Okay. Uh, you, you're going to have a pretty hard time if you don't start with the assumptions, but you do start with the assumptions, you create a whole bunch of math and then you, you know, you can, you can, you can create so much math. And then later, if you come back and check that math, but still keep the assumptions, you're going to be like, the math checks out. But what, you know, what you got to do is you got to go back to the assumptions and go, how can I know those assumptions are true from the very beginning without any of the math? Good luck. <laughs> you like that, Brad? Right. That's perfect. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're up against. Uh, and you know, a lot of people, uh, really, really push back hard on this because they don't, they need a, what I, what I call a replacement model. So, well, if mm -hmm. my model isn't right, I want to see your model and they, they can't, they won't change their position without another model that they can see and build on. And it's a tricky thing for something like sun, moon, stars, Venus, earth, et cetera, right? Who's gonna, who's gonna go out there and show how these things may be different than what we've been told, right? N nobody apparently mm -hmm. can, can do that. So the model stands right until that replacement model comes along for some people in some people's minds, which is, you know, kind of fair enough, but <laughs> not completely. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, it's fair in that sense that they, they have this perfect model and they want another one. They're not going to replace it. They need a new model. And, and you know, the question is, can you survive without a model? Like, what if yeah, that's not true? And you just have no model and they can't for whatever reason. It's uh, very empowering to let go of the need for a model and just to go back and be like, you know what? Those lights in the sky. What if I just yeah. said, I independently experientially don't know. I'm going to start from right there and see if I can figure it out without blindly believing in authority. That's where we should all be right now. That'd be a heck of a start. Heck of a start. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. Um, I, I think another thing here is why people believe is that there are, you know, big government agencies, big medical establishment agencies, big scientific agencies, et cetera, that provide what are supposed to be proof. Just for example, like NASA puts on the website, you know, here are images of, you know, proof, right? And you can look at it and you're like, well, yeah, that looks exactly what I would expect it's a look like, you know? So I guess it's real. Did you go yourself and take a photo? No. You've seen an image on a government agency website and gone, yeah, that looks exactly what you said it would look like. Okay. I take it. I believe it. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so, right, we've got, you know, all this kind of comes back to some of, you know, our three earlier podcasts about, you know, why people believe stuff. And we've got a couple of hurdles to get over, some big ones. Right? One, of course, that mentioned at least once or twice in this podcast, which is blind belief in authority. Soon that the experts are right. We've got belief imprinting, which we talked about at length in, in this example. Right? I mean, we were, all, we were all exposed to solar systems and mobiles and paintings and books uh, and cartoons with the, with the whole solar system model at a very, very young age. So we didn't, that was the, our first image and idea about the lights in the sky were fed to us, you know, age four or five, six, we had all seen it. And lastly, of course, we had this herd mentality thing, which is always 
ever present and that you're you're kind of a you know an outcast if you don't go along with what the establishment and the mainstream folks think is true those all get in the way of taking the next steps which we're pushing towards as we continue right okay so here are let me let me, let me just get this right uh, here are damning critiques of the eight core materialistic models that are supposed to explain our realm. So, Big Bang Theory. Now, we want to be clear. We're not saying that these critiques disprove anything, right? We are saying these are da damning critiques that need to be fully considered independently and experientially by you uh, in addition to your consideration of the model, okay? So, with the Big Bang Theory... We have the absurdity of everything coming from nothing, a singularity, a finite point of infinite energy. Like, it is absurd, right? Like, there, 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 there is no experiential happening or observation that you would be like, yeah, yeah, it's that. You, you, wouldn't, you would never, ever come to that conclusion, right? The only way you can come to that conclusion is by making a whole bunch of uh, cosmological assumptions like I mentioned before, and then doing a whole bunch of math and like looking at, you know, oh, the things coming from outer space and then like, oh yeah, it's plenty, you know, infinite, yeah, right? Okay. You have to consider that. Now, the second part of it um, that makes it even more absurd is when people are both believe in the Big Bang and are an atheist, right? So imagine not believing in a God and I'm not stating my belief one way or another, imagine not believing in a God and also believing in the Big Bang and being like, yes, that's what happened. Okay. So, and Brad's got a point here. Do you want to mention this one in the middle, Brad? Uh, oh, just, well, yeah, let me, let me back up. Yeah, let me back up one real quickie here. Matt said at the top of this that we're not trying to disprove anything. And I just wanted to add to that that it's it's impossible to disprove something that's never been proven in the first place. Right? It's right. A, an, another thing that gets thrown on on our shoulders when we question things. It's like, well, prove it. And so, you know, as I like to say quite often, you know, maximum of law is you know, the, the burden of proof lies on the claimant. So he who makes the claim has to show the proof. And as Matt mentioned, nobody... We, there's no experiment we can do anywhere that shows how you can get something out of nothing. It can't be done in all the physics we can do on or experiments we can do on Earth. So why would we then extrapolate that it's something that could happen up in the sky? It's a big, big leap. Yeah. Um, well, it's about the biggest leap you could possibly take. I think it is the biggest of all theories, but with it just completely lacks even a modicum of support. Uh, but oh, it's I, the yeah, so I meant theory. <laughs> it is indeed. I mentioned that you know one of the things that happens in our universities, of course, is that people who move through these astrophysics courses and everything are people who don't question things. They accept the narrative as true, and the people who you know start putting on their critical thinking cap a little bit, thinking about it and questioning and asking, they tend to not make it through the curriculum. They certainly don't get the promotions and, and, and the recommendations and so forth because right. they're they're questioning the orthodoxy. Important to understand right. that. Okay. So do you want to take a theory of evolution, Brett? Evolution. I got evolution twice in a row. Huh? All right. I guess I will take it. 
Um, so yeah, so you know, the biggest critique, of course, against the theory of evolution is the absence of transitional species. And, and you know, the, the, the adherence to this theory will say, well, no, here's one between you know, the three-legged salamander or the four-legged salamander or whatever. I just made that up. But there are these, there are these very minute examples of you know, the tailless salamander versus the tailed salamander. And of course, that's not what we're anybody who's thinking about this cr more critically. We want to know how you know, a rhinoceros became a giraffe, or you know how a bluegill became a whale, right? We 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 need a little bit more, you know, we need a little bit clearer examples of these kind of things. And of course, you know, the missing link: how did uh, you know an ape become a human? Uh, right. These are the things that are completely missing from the explanation. And if anything, I think uh, you know. A lot of people will say, if you look carefully at the archaeological record, it, it's you'll see these uh, explosive appearances of you know innumerable brand new species. They don't they, they didn't come gradually, so it's kind of this gradualism versus explosion, uh, and and you just don't see that where uh, across a million years, you know, uh, you know, a guppy becomes a frog or whatever whatever the heck they might want to claim. It's just all of a sudden, right. in the fossil record, there's all these brand new things that nobody's ever seen before. So that's a, right. a pretty big uh, criticism of the uh, of evolution, right? And so all you have to do is just imagine, like you're, you know, just well, not imagine. Start with something like an elephant or a rhinoceros, which is a giraffe, or you know, just take the, you know, one of those really funny creatures that isn't really like anything else, and then think, well, what are the things that that is supposed to evolve from, right? And then imagine uh, a, a species halfway between, and then check, has a fossil of that ever been found? Well, no. Okay, no. <laughs> no. And it's always no. Now, I floated this idea to a friend, and they said, well, you know, fossils are very hard to find, and they probably just haven't been found yet, but they're probably going to be found because the theory is right. Okay, and I'm like, and that's sufficient for you to just believe it. Okay. That's some right. creative thinking. I, you know, on a funnier note, I've heard people say, why haven't any of the, you know, chimpanzees or apes or why, why haven't they evolved to be more like humans in our lifetimes, right? Like, why are we the only ones that, that got the evolution? I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to think of it that way, but it's not a bad point. We, we haven't seen the, uh, the behavior of chimpanzees, uh, you know, evolve in modern times. Like, why is that exactly? Worth mentioning. <laughs> well, why don't you take germ theory, Brad, again, because uh, that's your baby. Germ theory, yeah. So, you know, I always say this, this was a reasonable idea at the time. Uh, this is the kind of the 1850 to two th uh, 1900 period where people, you know, started researching and looking into diseases a little bit more often. And, you know, they noticed that when you took the pus or mucus or, you know, bodily fluids or tissues from a sick person, and they looked at the the contents under a microscope. They found, you know, these squiggly little microscopic critters, as I like to say. And you know, these were bacteria, and you know, they named them collectively. They called these things germs, and they made the they made an assumption here, right, which was that it was the squiggly little critters that they saw that were causing the disease. I'm not, I'm not saying it was a bad right. assumption, but it was an assumption, and the uh, of course. After the 1900 period, you know, from so 1850 to 1900, they're blaming all these diseases on squiggly critters, microscopic critters, and then from 1900 to 1950, they tried to prove that these squiggly critters 
were the cause of disease and infection. And they had right. a real hard time with that. In fact, they couldn't do it. Cokes or Cox postulates were presented and many, many people attempted to uh, satisfy the postulates with zero success. So we've got a basically a hundred year period of a theory that's that it's really a refuted hypothesis by that point. And yet here we are 80 years beyond that point and we're still believing in this thing. Um, what I say here? Uh, oh, okay. So, and, and there, part of that, part of that, you know, first 50 years, really almost first hundred years is they blamed a lot of diseases on the assumption that there were other squiggly little critters that were too small to be seen by their microscopes and technology at the time. These, of course, would be the uh, the cooties virus. And that was part of this mix too. So they definitely saw bacteria squiggling around and that was fair enough that they assumed they were the cause, but they also then when they couldn't find any of the bacteria, they blamed it on something they couldn't see, the virus. So uh, just one quick one quick note that Nobody has ever found a virus in the fluids or tissues of a sick person to this day. In fact, they pretty much gave up looking for them in the mid-1950s. So no one even tries that anymore. And they say they're too hard to find or there's not enough there to find. Very uh, suspect and suspicious situation. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. And I would like to mention, you know, if any of the things we're pointing out here, it's, you know, like, oh, what? Huh? What? Huh? Like, uh, just we we literally uh, the last podcast we did is purely on viruses. So if you want more information uh, to calm your nerves, uh, just check out the previous podcast. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's that's a hard thing to hear, uh, and I, I go into quite a bit more detail, which we don't have time in this podcast to do. Uh, and I guess we wanted to add here that yeah, you can go Google uh, picture of virus, you can find eighty billion examples of that those are just pictures of uh, most of those are drawings and cgi but when you do actually find a real electron microscopic picture all they're pointing at is some little dots and particles and they just call them viruses and that's the end of it if you can believe it hard to believe quite true uh, and you've written it so it is a refuted hypothesis it's been a refuted hypothesis for over a century it's just refuted by a small group of people and it's uh what is the word purported or supported or something like that well yeah those people yeah. are kicked out of or rejected from majority acad academia and the medical institutions right so and of course right. finding their books and papers and work is very very hard you have to even have the thought that maybe somebody refuted it way back when and that from right. there if you're lucky you might find one of their papers after a couple months <laughs> And just in case you're Good worrying, time. like, well, do you have like another explanation for how people get sick? What are you saying? People don't get sick. Uh, we mentioned that in the podcast as well. So there are, there, it's a wide body of work explaining sickness that doesn't rely on germs. Right. Okay. Right. It's going to take some time for sure. That's the germ theory. Okay. I'll take a uh, universal gravitation. Uh, so universal gravitation would be the theory that, you know, that the, the bodies in the sky are solid massive well not necessarily solid but essentially massive objects right and you know their their movement around is caused by the fact that they have mass and they're attracted to each other right and uh 
you know, that, that extrapolates to earth and the, okay, the earth is a massive object. We are massive objects and we are pulled to the earth. Now, just to be clear, sometimes when I criticize this theory, people say, what are you, what are you saying? Gravity doesn't exist. What, what things don't fall down? Like, no one is saying that things don't fall down. Okay. <laughs> no, no one is suggesting that there's not some effect where things fall down right? That, that's an obvious observable fact. What the thing is, is the theory suggests that somehow the mass attracts it, right? And they say, oh, well, there, there must be some sort of graviton, but they don't observe a graviton, right? There, there is no observation of any graviton. And, you know, this, this, even, even though they don't observe, don't observe a graviton, they still theorize that, oh, yes, this massive body, like, bazillion light years away, you know, is, like, uh, interacting between these two massive objects, right? This graviton at the speed of light and doing it, it's just, it's just like, but you don't observe a graviton, right? You're like, no, we haven't seen a way to try to, try to find the, the graviton. It's like, well, well, how's it work then? Well... We don't really know how it works yet, but the science is evolving. Science is constantly evolving, and we in the, the community are really starting to see some breakthrough advances in understanding this, right? They just put on the voice, and they're like, wow, science, right? But they don't have any observation of how this works, right? So it's all, that's why it's called theory of gravity, okay? Most people, most people get away with, have the notion that gravity is a force, right? And that, that right. force is a thing. But a force isn't a thing, right? Something makes a force. So there's got to be some thingness involved in the gravitational force. And that's yep. the part they don't want you to think about. Right. Right. What is the cause of the force? So I just want to throw that in there. Yeah. What's the cause of the force? Now, the the experiment, oh, it's, it's tiresome to hear it, but uh, every single person will be like, well, the Cavendish experiment has already proved it. Right, like, man, go have a conversation about chat with ChatGPT four about the Cavendish experiment. First of all, ask ChatGPT four to devise you an experiment to measure gravity. Right, like, just tell it, you know, I want to, I want you to set me up an experiment with a, you know, solid, massive, big, solid, massive balls hanging from you know cables. Right, and then I, I want to have some sort of like um device that, that that observes them moving together under the force of gravity like have ChatGPT set up the experiment for you what should suggest that you need some 50,000 kilogram balls next to each other to observe it move a nanometer closer to the other ball in over a period of 424 hours or something like that I don't know if I'm exaggerating <laughs> but like you will look at the experiment and be like what and then you go but hold, hold on, why do we need such a, an elaborate experiment when Cavendish uh, already did this in uh, the 1700s in his barn with just a few small spheres? How was he able to do it? Well, the Cavendish in ChatGPT alone, the Cavendish experiment did this. It's like, but, but, but why is it so hard for us to do now? Why, why can't we repeat that and just just watch what happens? Okay, it, it's a it's a mess, right? And the fact that people quote this thing from 1700s and it's like, okay, well. Why don't you go do it? Why don't you go do it yourself and prove to yourself that it's true instead of just, you know, in, engaging in naive authoritative scientism and just believing that it happened? Why don't you just go do it, right? Oh, I don't have to do it because it's already proven by so many scientists, right? This is a 
disempowering lack of intellectual sovereignty and you know giving away intellectual sovereignty to scientists whom you've never met and allowing them to tell you what the truth is right so just be independent and go do the research yourself right. you know the experiment yourself if you don't believe it you'll find that you know just to throw it out there that there's this interesting period of time uh, you know i i make it from 1830 to 1930 but you can stretch it back to 1797 or you know 1780 or whatever but there's this period of time when all these tremendous experiments were done that give us the the supposed proofs of what reality is and how it works and they're so definitive that we're told no one needs to recreate them because they've already been done which is a fascinating story to tell is it not considering the oh, yeah. advances in technology from 1797 to today by the way i also think that the i just remember from your the chat gpt thing we're doing i think i think the spheres had a radius of 47 kilometers <laughs> wasn't that right oh yeah, yeah i think it might have been a 47 kilometer radius uh, diameter osmium yeah, sphere yeah. <laughs> osmium a 22,000 kilogram per you know density kind of thing whatever you know Right. You know, that, that's like... times the density of water, basically. For the English people in the room, that's like a 25-mile <laughs> long ball of osmium. <laughs> Ridiculous, yeah. right? So all you need to do is tab over to chat GPT, right? You can do it right now. Just, just go talk to it. Check it yourself. You want to do atomic theory? I would love to do atomic theory. So, I, and, right. and my first comment about this too is that, you know, the idea of atoms, neutrons, protons, and electrons is a very useful tool, a useful model for modeling right. things that happen. Nobody, it's kind of like, it's the same as Matt was saying earlier. We're not denying that there's a gravitational effect, right? That things fall down or things that go up come down. We don't deny that. Just like the atomic model, we, the theory, we agree that it's a useful model for explaining right. why chemicals come together or why, you know, electrical charges and discharges happen. No question about it. The, the question is, right, are, are we, are we, uh, is it, are we really living in, in, in the billiard bar, ball, billiard ball world where it's just ricocheting particles and balls and that explains our reality. And mm -hmm. this is what, of course, the establishment would like us to believe. But when you start digging into this, of course, uh, you'll find out that no one's ever taken a picture of or a video of an atom, right? You, you can't see this setup. And, you know, Matt made a, a good point that the, the nucleus is so much bigger than the, the you know, orbiting electrons and protons and so forth that you can't get them both in the same picture and say, okay, well, that's fine, but can you just give me a picture of the orbiting electrons and protons? And I guess you asked Chet GPT this as well, and... Uh, they said, uh, sorry, can't get a picture for yep. who knows what reason. But the point is, is that until we get a picture, we're working with yet another theory out there. And just because the math and the models work doesn't mean it actually rep really represents reality. And that's right. the whole point of this podcast. Right. So something I don't like is that when people talk, <laughs> they refer, they're like an electron. They just say it, you know, a proton, a neutron. They ju they just say it, and they 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 think that they're referring literally directly to reality, not a model, right? And I've scolded ChatGPT for. I'm like, what? Why do you 
why do you present these things as as if you're just literally talking about reality? Why don't you say according to this model and the way we describe reality? But there is just like, now that's it. That's the thing. Have you ever observed it? Well, I haven't observed it. The scientists observe it. That, that's how it is, right? This is basically called naive scientific realism. Okay. All right. Bingo. Take it away. You're, you're on. Uh, you're on relativity. Yeah. You want me to do it? Um. You go into this one. You're more familiar, I'd say. Gotcha. So, of course, this is the Einsteinian, uh, you know, Wonder Kid papers that he put out. And, you know, it's important to note that uh, there were a lot of other smart guys studying, uh, you know, physics and cosmology and electronics and all these types of things right alongside him at the time. And, you know, uh, in, in Einstein's papers, he doesn't give anybody else credit. And yet it's clear that he stole many of the equations and ideas from his contemporaries and people before him. Right, the Lorentz transformations and the, the work of Henri Poincaré and several, several, several others as well. Uh, so he's not the amazing, you know, he didn't amazingly come up with these ideas in, in the back of the patent office one day when he was daydreaming, as we've been told. But, I'll, you know, so part of what, what uh, Einstein did was in one fell swoop, he eliminated what a lot of smart scientists at the time believed that there was what, what they called an ether out there and that was basically a medium right like like water is the ether for fish and right like we swim in this ether of air but he, we're talking about this ether that encompassed everything and, and and this allowed them to talk about waves of course and you, the only way you can have waves if there is if there's a medium for it to for things to move through and this was of course how they explained things like light and Einstein eliminates it and he then postulates for the first time another billiard ball in the mix, and he named that a photon. So he described what light is photon. So the particles come right. from the sun, for example. Right. And he, and furthermore, it propagated through nothing. Right. So if, like if Matt and I were standing in a vacuum, other than the fact that our heads would explode or whatever they say would happen, we couldn't talk to each other because there's no air molecule there's no oxygen and hydrogen and carbon molecules in the air to carry my voice to him we need that medium and in the same way the light from the sun needs a medium to travel from the sun to the earth that this was the leading idea and before einstein came along he wiped it all out he, so he eliminated he created a vacuum a space where there's nothing it's empty and he created the photon in one fell swoop. A radical ideas that to this day, once again, no proof. There's no proof that a photon exists. And nobody can prove that space is empty. Can't be done. So we, once again, we're forced to believe in this theory based on some of these assumptions. Right. Uh, and I, I mean, I wanted to acknowledge something like, because, you know, in quantum field theory, for example, you don't have a literal vacuum with nothing. You have, you know, fields that are at non-zero energy levels everywhere, right? However, just remember, that is a separate theory, right? Okay. So that, that is literally a separate theory. And, you know, to 
to to have to have your theory where there is nothing like in 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 the Einsteinian general relativity there is nothing, right? So that's a model explaining things in an absurd way, right? Okay, you can point to something and say okay, there's another theory that has it, but that's that's a different theory, okay? So that doesn't support the Einsteinian theory, okay? Right. And the other thing is, you know, we know we're just covering things and casting shade and stuff. I just want to remember remind you we're not we're not pretending like we're disproving the stuff. We're just saying that, you know, the absurdity of these things has to be fully considered by each individual. All right. And yeah, and I'll remind Matt that we can't disprove something that hasn't been proven yet. Bada bing, right. Zingdia there. So yeah, and so uh, if I can just mention this uh, dark energy thing. Oh, I was already known, it, but you know, <laughs> uh, you wanted to go for it. <laughs> it looks so yeah. appealing and so juicy. Like ah, like you can have it there. There's a yeah. So so now we've got this vacuum, and then we've got this QFT theory, and and now you know we ha we run into a problem very shortly after you know twenty thirty years after Einstein's theory. We have mathematicians, you know, they're looking at the at the lights in the sky, and they start trying to do the math, and realize that this doesn't make any sense, and that gravity doesn't work because these things are too big, these things are too small, these things are moving too fast, these are too slow. So gravity doesn't work for any of it. So it, real quickly, they have to invent two more new things. They have to invent dark matter and dark energy to uphold Einstein gravitation. And these are two right. substances that nobody can detect, right? We, they're, un, they're undetectable. No one knows what they are, but they make up 95% right. of our universe. 95%. And we can't detect them. And now... It is all true, we do. <laughs> right, so okay, now right. We, we, we've got a vacuum in it, but it can't be a vacuum because it's got gravitons and photons and dark energy and dark matter all inside of it. So which is it? Is it a gravity or does it have all this stuff? Or is it a vacuum or does it have all these things floating around in it? Got to be one or the other, right? Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's already known. Like general relativity does not describe the universe. Like, it breaks down and then you need to invent, oh, uh, well... Well, how do we explain it then? Okay, more math, right? Well, let, let, let's suppose. Let's suppose that there's a dark matter. Let's suppose that there's a dark energy assumption. And, you know, how would the math work for that? You just invent a whole bunch of math, right? So that's what you need to understand and consider that these models are just continuations of expanding, failing math time after time. And, you know, then it gets all put on... PBS space time or whatever and the guy's like scientists may have discovered the very nature of our universe and it's like it's made up okay it's made up <laughs> we, we, we understand that these things model reality right but stop believing that it's actually like that right stop that if you were just to just to wipe out gravity you could wipe out all the rest of this stuff in one fell swoop right a thing that's never been proven to exist. It's all it takes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess we had this, you know, the grand unified theories, of course, of what uh, scientists and physicists have allegedly been working on for the last hundred odd years to unify quantum mechanics and uh, relativity. And no one's gotten any closer than the first guy who started. Just gotten more complicated. Um, right. There's a lot of other cr critiques of, you know, a relativity. There's the clock paradox. Uh, there's the... 
uh, I forget the name of it, but there's the Cartesian or the, there's the point. I can't remember. I don't remember the name of it, but it, when you look at, when you read it and really think about it, Einstein's kind of inventing these scenarios that are, of course, they're, they're kind of impossible to prove or either that, or they give us two different answers, depending on mm -hmm. which frame of reference you're in, in the Einsteinian right. model. Well, that, then that begs right. the question, well, which one's the right answer? If, if you get two different answers, which one's the right answer? And there's just one after another after another of these paradoxes when you read it. And, you know, to just accept it as truth, as so many people try to pass off, is the astonishing part of it all, because none of these things have been resolved. Um, right. And this, I'll do this last bit here, only, only because I, I do this with Matt all the time and a lot of people... You know, I want to want to be clear with people that we're not we're not questioning math. Right? We all agree that two plus two equals four, and nobody's questioning that. That works. Mathematics works, but E equals MC squared, right? Which people say that's math. It works. Ha has an assumption built into it, right? It has an assumption that light has a speed that nobody can really measure. I know there's one thing from 1925 or something where some guys allegedly pulled it off by sheer luck, but other than those guys from 100 years ago, nobody can measure it anymore for some strange reason. It, could it be because light doesn't have a speed? Is that a possibility? That is the real question that we're throwing out there. Is that, you know, we see illumination has a speed, right? Like we, when our eyes finally see the illumination, but is that light proton photons traveling between point A and point B? That's the question. And just a, yet another right. thing that breaks down Einsteinian relativity, we toss out one of these assumptions in these famous math equations. Well, the math checks out. <laughs> What's next? Uh, if I can just cause one agitate on the speed of light, because there, you know there are experiments that supposedly you know show the speed of light. But uh, one one of them is this like rotating octagon that uh you know you, I can't go too deep into it. You'll just have to look up look it up, and they they shine light. It bounces on this octagon and it sends the light over that way you know you know 20 kilometers down that way and then then gets bounced back and it hits this other part of the octagon and goes down and hits that and by some math and then all the math checks out it uh, indicates that the uh that it only hits you know it only hits perfectly when um the 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 octagon is rotating at a specific speed right a certain number of revolutions per second right so they're like yeah we got that and then we got resonance right so we can see that yeah but uh, by our calculations it shows right so you, you can look up that thing it's the uh it's a mickelson i think it was that guy mickelson that did it. it's not mickelson morley it's a different thing it's a mickelson speed of light experiment just look it up but the fundamental thing in that is the is that the frequency at which this thing is rotating is 520 hertz and if you look and if you look up 520 hertz, you find that it's the frequency in the Sofeggio scale, the Gregorian chant kind of stuff of love, right? It's the it's the frequency that um John Lennon recorded Imagine in. Hey, tell someone to that who believes in all this stuff, and they'll say, well, that's just a coincidence. Yeah, but you, you, what you find is you present all these things one after the other, one after the other, and they're, well, that's a co coincidence, that's a coincidence, that's a coincidence. So just imagine the, the, the immensity of the coincidence that a thing that measures the speed of light requires that a thing be rotating at the exact frequency of what is considered in people in spiritual uh, realms, like spiritual ideologies, let's say, to be the frequency of love. Whoa. 
I mean, what, what, a, what a coincidence, right? Just a little bit of shade on the speed of light there. <laughs> right on. Um, quantum mechanics? You're next. Knock it out. Okay, so... Uh, I haven't verified this myself, but Brad, you told me this. Uh, apparently, even Richard Feynman, the... You know, I lie to love Richard Feynman, and I still do. I, I, uh, Very know, I like Richard Feynman. Sure. Great guy. And I, yeah, I mean, I learned a lot of mathematics from him um, in science. Um, you know, he's a bit of the idol of the scientism world in a way. He, he's admitted that no one can understand quantum field theory, right? <laughs> and um, you, say, you might say, oh, you know, the, the, the smart scientists, of course they understand it. But here's the thing. Regular people don't, right? And to be a regular person who hasn't studied it at all, but accept the conclusions of it, is naive authoritative scientism, okay? So you have to realize that quantum particles, do you know how small these things are supposed to be? They've, they haven't been observed, right? You can't go get a photograph of a quantum particle, right? They can only infer they, it. They're like, oh, we blasted this thing. Go on, brother. <laughs> I was going to say, but what did they do at CERN then for all those hundreds of million, billions of dollars they spent? Yeah, right, right, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> let's not get into that. But, um, you know, they observe, they crash neutrinos at the speed of light, uh, you know, into things. And then they have a squiggle on the, the diagram and they're like, a, this is the excitation of a particle in the quantum field. And uh, they're, they're like, therefore, according to the math that we invented that predicted this thing, it all checks out, right? Our observations are correct again, right? They're not observing quantum particles, right? So don't believe, don't, don't have in your head Quantum particles exist, right? You can have this model. We're not disputing that the model predicts observations or anything like that. We 100% agree, but don't have in your head quantum particles exist, okay? You want to take these other things, Brad? I'm not too familiar. Oh, okay. But, you know, there's other things you mentioned here. Quantum state superposition is the, is the whole premise of, you know, the quantum computers and so forth. Basically, the idea, of course, is that there's a particle can be two places at the same time. It might be here, might be there. It's it's kind of akin to the idea that nothing, everything can come from nothing. We have no examples of how this could possibly be true. And it's frankly, from my perspective, it's an absurdity that you can, that this is true. And of course, they love to talk about the, the wave particle duality. And that sometimes it is, if you look at it, it's a particle. If you don't look at it, it's a wave. So how, how can we know that, you know, they've got the, the Dr. Quantum experiment and cartoon people may have seen. It's not even close to being correct in how things were done. You know, they, they pretend like they've got this cannon shooting uh, electrons one at a time through these, double, you know, the double slit experiment. And of course, no one's ever seen a, a, an electron. So how in the world are they shooting electrons through, you know, a double slit? Right, begs the question, in and again, what's going on here? So they didn't grab an electron and put the electron somewhere, and then you know, <laughs> fire the electron, right? Yeah, like like they got a bucket of electrons, and they're just sucking them out of there and shooting <laughs> through their cannon at the double slit. Right? That's right. that's the that's what you that's your takeaway from watching that experiment. And so you must have got a know, bucket of electrons and fired them off one after the other. That's hilarious. Right? That's what that's your that's the picture you have like a bucket of ping pong balls or something. They're just shooting through the cannon. They're like, oh, if you look at it, it goes this way, and if you don't look at it, it goes this way, right? You get the field effect, uh, the wave effect if you're not looking at it, and the particle effect if you are looking at it. I mean, it's 
it begs the question, what's really happening here and what are they really talking about? But, but again, that's a, you know, that's a consumer consumerish cartoon, um, for us, uh, low level guys. So that's quantum theory. We're yeah. not saying, if I can just mention Brad, we're, we're not saying that the experiment, we're, we're not saying that the experiment didn't happen. We're not saying that the observations weren't made. We're not saying that this doesn't model reality, right? But what they're doing is they take observations and then they invent a bunch of math and a bunch of concepts, right? It's all rationalism, right? Electron is a concept, right? It's not a, it's not a, an existent, it's a concept to, to stand in for On a reality. Yeah, right. It is. And they're like, some, yeah, that ex I mean, when I put the math and the concepts in this configuration, it uh, explains it. But don't be confused between the conceptual explanation and the reality. You know, the, the short version of it is if, if it isn't a bunch of billiard balls bouncing around like we've been taught, which is the materialist viewpoint, then something else is happening that has not been described in our mainstream academic science. That's what we're getting at. Right. Yeah. Did you want to mention magnetism here? Just real quick, this is something that Matt and I haven't looked at closely enough yet, so we don't we can't elaborate on it. There's an interesting uh, guy out there. Is, he's got a uh, YouTube channel. It's called Theoria Apophasis. Name's Ken Wheeler, and uh, he's a really bright guy. I listen to him quite a bit, and he's got a, a bunch of amazing perspectives on all the things we talked about here tonight. You know, and he goes way deeper and further than anything we touched on. But he's also claims that he's written a paper that basically upends what magnetism is and how it works and what's really happening. And it requires a certain level of uh, understanding and knowledge that I don't know that I have. Matt certainly has it, but it takes some time to read it, think about it, understand what he's saying, uh, because he's really upending the entire model of magnetism. So I wanted to include that tonight just because um, we're, we're talking about basically the fundamental building blocks of our reality and what's being taught to us and what you know assumptions are being made and what things can't be proven and perhaps just perhaps there's some other explanations out there so i wanted to toss that in there right yeah i mean what we intend to do is we'll live stream a session where we sit down and look at this guy's paper and you know we'll have chat gpt4 going as well or five if it's out at that time and i'll have a you know tablet and a stylus and we'll, we'll just go through it right and people can actually watch watch it happen Sounds like fun. What do you know about genes? Well, okay. F first on the genes, we have to clarify that like genes have some basis in reality, right? You like you could this genetic idea. You you can observe that like are you you know you come out kind of looking like your siblings and your parents and stuff like that, right? So this is kind of like there must be some sort of thing somewhere that's causing this. Like we must get something from the parents, right? And if you look at if you look at the genes in, in the child and the parents, you're like, yeah, yeah check it out. They, they get the same genes, right? Let me, imagine that. Okay, so, but what's going on is that this theory is being used to explain diseases, right? So, we want to cast some shade on that a bit, right? This is your quote, Brad. Do you want to just uh, put this forward as a, a pretty uh, cool tidbit? Uh, it's not Brad's quote. It's like Brad introduced this quote. So why don't you read this out, Brad? 
I'm not going to read the exact quote, but it, it, the the point is is that and this was pointed out by Stefan Malaka that there, there a group of you know the 25 leading geneticists sat down at, at uh, Cal Berkeley back in 2006, I think, and uh, spent a it week. Was Craig Winter who said this, just to be clear. Craig Winter who who, who who wrote about this thing. Effectively, they were trying to come to come to into agreement on a number of different subjects, and they. And the, ended the meeting all angry at each other, screaming and yelling. And as it turns out, they, they all couldn't even agree on what a gene actually was. If you can almost right. believe that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, These are the, the world's leading genetic experts. And w believe me, we're and by 2006, we are far down the path of genetics, right? I mean, this started you know, really taking off in the late 80s and huge advances in the 90s. So we're, you know, 20 years into this study of this topic and the experts can't agree on what a gene really is. So I thought that was pretty doggone interesting that uh, right. something like that could actually happen not so long ago. Um, but I, you, you were talking about diseases, and I thought it was I thought you were going to touch on. We had a little fun with uh, ChatGPT the other night, night when you were poking at it. I mentioned Huntington's disease, and sure enough, ChatGPT just jumped right out of the gate, saying how that was you know a well-established genetic disorder, right? And I had Matt press it right. a little bit and ask it some questions. And basically my question was, can you, so what, based on, you know, one, if one parent has it, then the child has a 50% chance, yada, yada, yada. And I, and we asked ChatGPT, can you, so with a newborn baby, uh, can you test it and determine whether or not it's going to have Huntington's disease in its life, right? Because it's allegedly, it, it either got the gene or it didn't get the gene from the parent. And Chat GPT had to, uh, you know, ashamedly admit that no such thing had ever been done before. Right. And can I just re-explain re that just to add some clarity? So, you know, the assumption might be that, uh, you know, a geneticist or whatever are testing, you know, children when they're young, checking their genes and then making a prediction whether they'll get this disease or not in the future, right? Uh, you, you would think that's happening, right? Like, for example, something like Huntington's, you'd be like, yeah, I mean, they, they know it so well, they must they must be able to predict, right? Because yeah, I asked ChatGPT, is it, and they said, yeah, yeah, we, we can predict it. Yeah, it's predictable. And I was like, okay, well, well, let me just check with you. Are you saying that there has been a specific study where they literally uh, went and looked at their genes and then checked with them, you know, early in life and then checked with them later in life and, and checked? Did, did that happen? No. And it said, as of my knowledge cut off in September 2021, I do not have access to a specific publicly available case study where genetic testing was conducting, conducted on a baby to check for Huntington's gene, right? It's not happening, right? All they're doing is later when someone gets the disease, they're checking the genes then and going, ah, yes, they, they got the gene. But here's the thing, they don't always have the gene, right? So... I've done this other thing. There's a, it is an FAT gene, right? It's a, imagine they call it the fat gene. It's a, a gene that they correlate with uh, being overweight, overweight, right? And the thing is, sometimes people with the gene are overweight, and sometimes people with the gene are not overweight. And sometimes people without the gene are overweight, and sometimes people without the gene are not overweight, right? So there's a correlation. But if you were to, like, the, the thing that they're trying to say is that, like, these genes cause things. Like, how can you have a gene 
just just be correlated with something i mean it, it's absurd right so the, the the models like when you press them you just find that these gene models they just break down like all they're observing is correlations between diseases and genes and then there's they're assigning causation to the genes and people are like oh yeah i'm that way because of my genes right you'll hear people say this they say it's because of my genes and it's no it's not because of your genes right you don't you don't know what your genes are even you've not gone and tested your genes your doctor's telling it you it could be because of your genes because apparently out there people have done trials and you know confirmed stuff but they're just doing correlation and that's it okay i have a i have a theory that it's just a theory it's, it's, you can critique it you can say it's stupid all you want it's literally just a theory that i'm i would be interested in testing in the future but my theory is that your genes are your physical manifestation of your beliefs okay i won't say anything more on that but that's mm -hmm. just a theory i have anything you want to add brad I was just going to say, let's not forget that the 25 leading experts couldn't even agree on what a gene was about 15 years ago. Oh, you didn't get to that part? I'm sorry. No, that I was kidding. You you'd already said it. I said it. I'm just saying, right. after all of that talk, right, right, you've right. got the fat gene, you've got the Huntington's gene, but we don't even know what a gene is, apparently. They don't even know what a gene is, right. They certainly and can't would assume, oh, but that was in 2006. I mean, like, surely the science has evolved. I mean, science is constantly evolving. It's like, yeah, but people would have believed this exact stuff in 2005 right i could have made it made this exact talk in 2005 right and people people had the exact same beliefs about genes back then right so it's not a case of all the sciences evolved and stuff like this it's just that you have to stop having this uh naive authoritative scientism view of the world where you're just like oh the scientific experts said it that's that's why i mean they're really smart and they've said it it's like dig into it just dig into it question it more okay you want to you want me to do this yeah so this uh i think i threw this in here at the end of tail end of this but francis francis watson or watson crick or whatever these watson and crick guys who uh who allegedly discovered dna 1950s right they won a won a uh, nobel prize for their discovery of dna and they had the beautiful double helix spiraling picture of this you know majestic looking piece of uh, machinery and you know as it turns out these guys didn't never saw anything like that and one of their wives actually drew a pretty picture and they liked it and so they assigned it to this is what dna looks like and to this day i believe there's only one person who's claimed that they've got a picture of dna you can almost believe that and that was from 2012. So, you know, 60 years after the Watson and Crick uh, discovery, it was the first time we actually see the double helix structure of DNA, allegedly. So far, we've only got one actual electron microscope picture. So what is that? Where does that leave you? Does that leave you pretty confident that uh, it's all been settled and they were come? It's just another case where the guys theorized it, kind of pretended like they saw it, but didn't really. And then they're, they're, uh, beliefs were confirmed 60 years later. Is that another one of these? What do you think? Uh, I suspicious that it could be. Independent <laughs> research should be advised. Nobody else has gotten a picture in the last 11 years, apparently. So apparently this DNA thing that we've all reminded of constantly, M mRNA, DNA, et cetera, is a pretty elusive little bugger, kind of like an atom. And a photon and a graviton. 
57,000 other things out there. We're just throwing it out there. That's pretty strange, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I love it as a model. It's a great model. I'm, I love modeling. Uh, when I did university, I, that's what the thing I loved the most, modeling reality. You know, I would do models of, uh, you know, uh, comp- computer models of planes and helicopters and helicopter blades. Right. And it was fascinating, right? And it, it models reality. I mean, it predicts how a helicopter is going to fly, right? But the computer program and the math that I wrote is literally just a model. And if you ask me, does that model actually refer to how it works? I'd be like, no, it's just a silly model that I made up that works really well. Right. Well, I think that's a good way to kind of close out here is that we're, we have been uh, sort of indoctrinated into fusing models with reality and accepting those models as our picture of reality. Right. And clearly, clearly there are many, many flaws in all these explanations such that to just blindly believe they're true is, you know, a a, a big mistake. And it it leads to other mistakes that lead to other mistakes and flaws. You know, as as the pithy saying goes, right, the truth will set you free. So my my little theory which i'm not going to delve into at all but this idea that it, the more lies we believe the further we are from the truth the less free we are so in a sense all of this stuff that we've talked about tonight is in a way uh, a method to in, in entrap or ensnare us or enslave us into this false vision of reality and keep us at, at a minimum confused and in many cases, just completely ignorant of what we're surrounded by. Okay, so what we recommend is that, you know, take these ideas to some scientists that you know and go in honor and go with respect and present them to them and also ask them and, you know, see what they say and ask them if when they're communicating their idea that they're you know, aware that what they're saying is just a model or whether they argue that it's the exact underlying reality. Okay, that's an interesting point to present to them. Um, and just a secondary instructions for when you communicate about these models. Stop uh, kind of, I suppose the right word is pretending. Stop pretending that, you know, you're referring to reality, right? Just, just say, you know, uh, for example, according to the theory of this, uh, according to the Big Bang, you know, when this happened... You know, according to the gravity theory, atomic, according to atomic theory, just, just be clear on, uh, on that, okay? Just have this awareness in the back of your head that the model is not the reality, okay? Anything you want to add, Brad, before I mention take your power back? Uh, no, I think that's uh, some good advice, right? It's just a, just a coming down to reevaluating what's really going on and how much truth we've been told. Those are the questions that need to be examined for sure. Right. And I suppose we could even just touch on, you know, the, the key word of this that the, at the beginning was materialism, right? So all these models that we've presented to you are materialism, right? It's considering that every single thing in the universe is matter, right? Yeah, you know, according to all this materialist um, science, you know, even, even you, your consciousness, your soul, it's, all just a you know chance uh, configuration of atoms, 
quantum particles, you know, just, uh, that have just turned out that way. And, you know, evolution, it's all chance of how these, uh, molecules interacted in chemical equations that turned out this way. And all the big bang is just like, you know, the theory of matter, you know, how, how did matter progress, you know, according to this rocky theory where you have to introduce dark matter and dark energy. Okay. So, you know, we have, we have this course that we always mention at the end of the podcast. It's called Take Your Power Back. And, and Take Your Power Back is a course that empowers you, you know, in every sense of the word, right? It, because one of the things that we're referring to in this podcast is this uh, delegation of intellectual sovereignty, right? We're, we're living under, like almost everyone in the world is living under what I'm calling it at this time, naive science, uh, naive authoritative scientism, right? Where there's just all these beliefs about science, right? From that come from the authorities and we naively, which doesn't mean stupidly. It just means naively, just like, oh yeah, yeah that's what it is. Just take it at face value. Sure. Yeah. Just believe what the authorities say. This is the conclusions of science. Just accept it. Right. And we just operate like that's the reality without any critical analysis. Right. So. The scientism implies that there's not really any real critical analysis or real experiential knowing going on, just just beliefs about science, right? At the level of the the believer, uh, you know, most of us, right? So take your bow back, helps you to become an individual that has the courage to look directly at reality and use your own experiential knowledge and know for yourself. And this has wide applications in all of your life. It's not just in uh, knowing science or something like that. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it fully connects you to reality, right? It changes it from, you know, reality being like loosely perceived around here and like inferred and stuff like that to where you're truly living and connected with reality. That's just one, uh, facet of it. And you can find out more on the mindblindzone.com exactly what it is. Do you want to add something about take your power back, right? In this context? What? Yeah, just you know, maybe overall the the podcast itself, as well as take your power back, and you know that, you know, I mentioned at the top. I, I don't think we mentioned it here at the end. Is that we're going to have a part two to this, which is going to be looking mm-hmm. at uh, a spiritual reality, and this is right. these are really the two things that are coming into conflict here. Is this materialist explanation of reality accurate or not? And if it's not, then as we hopefully we've pointed to a few uh, major flaws and assumptions in it, then why would we, why would you reject looking at the spiritual explanation of reality? Uh, it's certainly, a, you know, a second explanation and, and it may not have mathematical precision or scientifically provable facts, but, you know, a lot of what is going on around here, you know, we aren't meant to know everything. If we were, it would have been explained to us by now. Uh, so some things are never going to be, you can't put them in this convenient little box of, of bouncing billiard balls and flying saucers and, and everything else that uh, is explained in reality. So part of the Take Your Power Back course that goes along with this is this idea that you know, it's the letting go. And it's my assertion, and we'll get into this certainly many more times in future podcasts, that um, you know I, I'm really asserting that you know, you're your opportunity to be set free by knowing the truth is a whole heck of a lot less uh, as a part of learning new things and understanding new things and new intellectual knowledge 
that's not really what's going to set you free. It's letting go of these things that have been have been passed around as reality all our lives. And we've been told this is how it works and this is the way things are. And letting go of a lot of that stuff is really a path forward in your empowerment. And we'll obviously get into that a little bit more in the second podcast that has the spiritual reality aspect of things. And you'll get a much, much deeper taste of that in the Take Your Power Back course, which is what it's really based on. Mm -hmm. Brad, I'll just mention one more thing, which is that, you know, it might seem like the purpose of this podcast was just to like criticize science. It's not, it's not really that. It's just to point out that, you know, the, these are the eight major models and, you know, there are just examples of the way we, we are interacting with science in this naive, sci uh, authoritative scientism way. And when, when you just believe it like this, I mean, yeah, it's okay. You, quantum theory, what are the implications for your life? Pretty much nothing, right? But like when it comes down to your health and your life, you know, people are stressed, they're anxious, they're having diseases, right? That's where it really matters, right? And if you're, you know, taking all these scientific models and stuff like that and trying to improve your health and stuff like that, oh my gosh, like materialistic approach to health, oh, get ready for decades of struggle right it's only once you let go of this uh materialistic stuff that you actually get real results that you're looking for okay so it's really important to your life that you step back from this a little bit yeah, and you could almost pitch then their conscious eating which is not necessarily health i mean it is related to health but obviously uh, weight loss mm -hmm. and uh you know fitness and things right right, right. certainly add to your health and it's sure. also got this spiritual grounding in it as well yeah right there's there's two other courses that we have at the moment one's the back pain miracle and one's the um conscious eating the key to weight loss so if your specific problems that you're facing are back pain or weight or weight or we have it okay mindblindzone.com i'm sorry themindblindzone.com it's there right physical pain weight loss we have it okay I understand that everyone's engaging a materialistic thing and calories in, calories out, and trying to force diet and suppress cravings and stuff like that. Just, just look at the state of the world that that has arisen based on those principles. It, it it doesn't work. Okay, you have to go into the emotions. You have to go deeper into consciousness to to solve these issues and get what you want in life. Okay, in health. So we've we've got it. The back pain miracle and consciously negate weight loss at themindblownzone.com. Enjoy. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So look forward to part two. We'll uh, we'll discuss some other uh, possibilities for what reality is based on and give everybody an opportunity to weigh those against the materialist ones, and uh, we'll take it from there. Uh, good right. night, Matt. Anything else you'd like to add? No, nope, that's everything. Right on. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Matt, for joining, and we will see you in the next podcast or at themindbonezone.com. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye.